Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA, convening in the nation's capital from November 2nd through the 4th, 2015. Come join your peers at the go-to industry event for population health management strategies, tactics, and best practices. For more information, visit www.populationhealthalliance.org. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters the producer and co-host of the show, and joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hey, Greg. How are you doing after the long time on the road? (laughs) Well, it's good to be back (laughs) in San Diego, and you know it well. So for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and past president and president of Countable Health LLC, a consulting firm in Jacksonville, Florida, and past chair and current board member of PHA. His experience spans hospital health system administration, HMO general management, and is the founder of a disease management company. My background includes leadership and consulting support for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, IPAs, MSOs, and several hospital physician-managed care joint ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, founded Health Innovation Media, and am known on Twitter principally as 2HealthGuru. Today, we continue our series, Countdown to the Population Health Alliance Forum 2015, and our special guest is Peter Goldbach, MD, the Chief Medical Officer at Health Dialogue, a total population healthcare services provider that offers risk-bearing entities, including health plans, employers, and providers, an integrated suite of services driven by powerful analytics. These services include member engagement programs, multi-channel health coaching, and shared risk decision-making tools. Dr. Goldbach brings more than 30 years of medical experience to Health Dialogue's management team, including... 15 years in medical administration, and 17 years maintaining a primary care and pulmonary disease practice. He is also the chief medical officer for Health Dialogue sister company, Ready Clinic, a retail clinic service provider. Prior to joining Health Dialogue and Ready Clinic, Dr. Goldbach served as president and chief executive officer of MedVantage, Inc., informatics and engagement company. Earlier in his career, he served as medical director for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, where he provided medical direction for the company's pay-for-performance and e-health programs and held CEO, trustee, and medical staff president positions with two Boston-area community hospitals. Dr. Goldbach received undergraduate and master's degrees from UCLA, and I can't resist, go Bruins before earning his medical degree from SUNY Downstate Medical College of Medicine. 
He completed his internal medicine internship and residency at George Washington University Hospital and his pulmonary disease fellowship at Cedar sinai Medical Center and UCLA School of Medicine. So with that overview of Dr. Goldbach's bio, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know this talented physician thought leader. Thank you so much, Greg. But I'm going to have to throw in a go Bears as we're now 5-0, and and we'll see how we do the rest of the season. And uh, Dr. Goldbach, Peter, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Fred, thanks so much for asking me to join you. Yeah, we're very excited, obviously, about this year's forum and the different companies coming to uh, showcase some of the services they have, as well as, the obviously, the speakers, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about um, Health Dialogue and, and what their role and involvement is going to be at this year's uh, Population Health Alliance Forum. Well, uh, we're fond of the forum. I think we've uh, probably uh, participated in the last 10 forums, and we think it's a great place to uh, mix with industry experts, exchange ideas, and see what's developing in population health. And uh, this year we are we have a booth, so please drop by. We are making a presentation. I think it's on the morning of the 3rd at 8 o'clock on patient engagement. So please join us there. And then, um, you know, we're going to announce uh, launching a new uh, patient engagement platform. So we're very excited about that opportunity as well. That's fantastic. And patient engagement obviously has become a critical um, issue. And it's interesting. I was following some of the Twitter chat from Health 2.0, and some people said, you know, patient engagement, they're they're sort of fed up with it. But it's something that's really difficult and hard. And obviously, Health Dialogue's been around at this a long time. So you've got a new platform that you're working on in patient engagement or some new approaches to it? Yeah, uh, both, actually. And uh, we're very excited about it because um, – you know, I think we are able to take advantage of new understandings about uh, populations and also new technologies to put together a platform where we can, under uh, in a single instance, provide service to patients uh, for pretty much all of their needs. So, for example, they can search for medical information you know, it's a kind of a self-service, 24-7 available asset where someone can get informed. They can access, in fact, our entire library, including our shared decision-making assets. Uh, but also, uh, you know, they can uh, participate in things that uh, that are brought to them, for example, from work, such as a wellness challenge. Uh, they can participate and get support from a social forum. Um, you know, they... Uh, can get a health action plan and address specific needs. We can, you know, personalize the way we interact, which helps with the engagement, but we can do things, for example, like we could send notifications and reminders and invite people to things that would interest them and so forth. And and they can actually also access coaching. So, you know, in this one location, we have basically all the services we can provide all organized and for the user that's pretty convenient. All their um, mobile apps, for example, all their sensors can be integrated and all that information can be available to our coaches. But also for us uh, and for the people that uh, hire us to help them manage their population, it gives us a better kind of 360 view about what's going on, uh, where people are in their health journey, uh, what activities are working and uh, you know, better, better chance to manage that population. 
And we've seen some of these tools put together for either those with chronic disease or those in early stage sort of wellness type programs. Is this a comprehensive type tool? You talked about some decision support as well as, you know, um, wearables as well as education. Is it broader so it covers more of the population? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. You you could well imagine that many people with uh, chronic illness also have wellness challenges. And, uh, you know, uh, when their chronic illness is uh, under reasonable control, they may be pursuing problems with sleep, anxiety, depression, uh, fitness, et cetera. And, uh, you know, they can have access to that. Um, And if they're getting coaching, our coaches can both watch their progress with their chronic illness as well as uh, what they're doing with wellness. And then for uh, running programs, you know, we can understand um, what would work for particular subpopulations. So, for example, employers can offer incentives for different activities to different people because that that would make more sense. So they can customize the program through the platform in a sense? Yes, they can. And that's, you know, another sort of advance is in analytics. So the ability to take in large data sets, disparate data sets, integrate them, design not only particular healthcare offerings, but also even the way you present them uh, to people or judging by how they've responded in the past, kind of predict how they might respond in the future and just be more useful in general that way. And what sort of data are you bringing into the system? Well, you know, we've, 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 uh, we often but don't always have claims data. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an HRA built into the platform, which gives us data. Um, people interact with the platform, which gives us data. Uh, you know, we often have pharmacy claims. Um, we have lab claims. Um, and, uh, you know, we have data that we can get from uh, mobile devices as well. And you're using all of that to tailor the, the approach for the individual? Exactly. Excellent. So when you think about engagement, how does that fit within the overall health dialogue uh, population health strategy? Well, uh, no engagement, no action. Nothing's happened (laughs) 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 unless uh, you can manage to to do that. And, uh, you know, I think that um, one of the things that I've seen significantly evolve is – a, a better understanding about how a population moves through time. So over the past couple of years, we've developed an analytic which we call Care Pathways. And this analytic uh, was really invented to help with prediction, uh, but it's given us a lot of different insights. So uh, what it does is for 11 disease states, and that number may expand, we track the natural progression from health through illness. And, you know, we have 11 stages that an individual might go through, and we track those stages for the entire population. So you could see how someone might go from well to being well at risk to being pre-diagnostic to having the onset of a condition, et cetera, all the way to what we call a sentinel event, which would be some hard um, hard stage such as uh, easy-to-spot stage, such as a heart attack, a stroke, dialysis, or something like that. So with that view of a population, um, we have analyzed many of our clients' data for the past three to five years. 
and we've sat down with our clients and we've shown them it, with these nine states of health and disease the progression of their population over the course of three to five years. And what they see is a significant migration from these sort of lower, healthier stages to more significant stages which are costly and hard to manage. And it's given them and us, for frankly, an insight about how really important it is to get involved earlier, to have tools that are affordable, um, that are attractive, that provide real service to people uh, where they can manage their condition, their health, and their conditions better. So, um, you know, that was one wonderful insight, and it's helped kind of draw attention to the need for these services. Um, another insight so, was for us – I'm sorry, Karen, you had yeah, a Yeah, if I could ask one question on that because yeah. this is fascinating – you said you have 11 stages or buckets, in essence, that you're stratifying individuals at? Yes, we have, we have 11 conditions that we have this perspective on, and we have nine stages that we look at. So you look at nine stages. You know, I'm thinking of the uh, Eddington natural flow model, you know, low, moderate, and high. So in essence, you've got a delineation between that of nine groups instead of the three. Is that yeah, how you're looking and at you it? Could, Exactly, and you could see how, for example, I mean, pick a pick a, a problem, uh, a bad knee. You mm -hmm. can see how someone might go from wanting um, fitness and weight loss to being thinking about uh, thinking about taking some medication for pain management, uh, to thinking about having an advanced image, um, you know, to all the way to having a replacement. And you monitor the population along that spread and show the changes within those nine points. Right. And if you want wow. to provide service to those people, being informed as to where they are and where, if you look at the total population view, designing programs to where your population is, it's really informative and it really helps you with the engagement. Yeah, that that really is interesting, and it's it's a, something unique. I hadn't heard of people quite breaking it down that way. Um, on a broader scale, you know, population health has become a buzzword. As you look at it, you know, obviously with your years of medical experience and from a physician perspective as well as an administrative perspective, why is you know it's why is it becoming such a critical component of our current system? Well, I think we're moving backwards in a healthy way. <laughs> and what I what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about it, um, not that long ago, everything was fee for service. We got a lot of service and we had a lot of fees. And, you know, clearly uh, that encouraged the development of new technologies. A lot of good things happened. But there was also overtreatment. There was also neglect for this sort of care pathways understanding about the progression of illness in a population. And when, you know, we've, we've finally figured out we we're reaching a crisis in the country about affordability and access, and we needed to think about new solutions, uh, you know, the movement to fee-for-value and the notion that now in a fee-for-value world, you could literally provide a service that wasn't billable but could have a high impact and could help people 
and you could even get rewarded for that. So, you know, that's kind of an optimist <laughs> view of uh, what's going on. But I do think, you know, we have this this opportunity. If you look at it, this is a worldwide phenomenon, not only in affordability, but also in this appreciation. So, you know, the World Health Organization has said the leading cause of death in the world today is now chronic illness. And what are the solutions? They happen to be things that focus on wellness and self-management. So I think it's a new understanding. And you believe, as many do, that the the change in reimbursement will drive that and get uh, the provider community to ultimately make that type of a switch? I think it'll be a major force. Um, And, you know, I think that um, understanding and education will also be a force, which kind of um, makes me think of my new retail roots. Uh, You know, you think about the retail world and – how they get engagement and how they offer service. Um, And actually, really, the health dialogue journey, uh, you know, what we do is we empower patients. That's If we don't empower patients, nothing happens. So uh, I think informed patients are going to demand and make choices um, for services that really matter. Mm -hmm. And you got this interesting relationship with Rite Aid, obviously, and then and then you oversee these clinics, which are really, as you said, is, it's become a consumer-driven type of model. How is that impacting your population health services, and how are you trying to integrate those? Well, for us, actually, it's kind of how we met Rite Aid in the market. So, the, you know, Rite Aid's a huge pharmacy chain, and uh, they're on a journey. Their mission is to expand their provision of services to expand that scope and to offer more retail health opportunity in their stores. And um, they wanted to provide uh, coaching inside of pharmacies. They were very well aware that patients had a very trusting relationship with their pharmacist. They felt that uh, the skill set of the pharmacist was underutilized and um, that it was having, uh, you know, pretty significant repercussions in terms of medication adherence and medication management. Uh, so it was a missed opportunity. So they wanted to incorporate coaching, and they met us, Health Dialogue, and we provided coaching. I think we have something like 66 or so coaches that we've actually embedded in local Rite Aid pharmacies. And these coaches work Uh, directly with the pharmacist, and they work on patients with chronic illness who've been referred to the pharmacy for coaching, for lifestyle coaching, helping people uh, take their medications effectively, understand their medications, um, do behavior modification, lose weight, stop smoking, uh, et cetera. And that's been a, a nationwide pilot, so that's how we got to meet Rite Aid. In April of last year, they bought us along with our sister company, and we got, uh, you know, we're getting deeper into retail provision of care. Um, And if you think about it from the Ready Clinic perspective, you know, the journey of convenient care where you have a mid-level nurse practitioner or physician assistant operating in a Rite Aid store or other retail setting, and they offer uh, services for minor medical conditions, they do school physicals, you know, immunizations, and they make that kind of care um, convenient and less expensive. Uh, 
and you know those convenient care locations have grown. I think there's about 1,900, more than 1,900 convenient care clinics now in America, and it's growing. Um, so you know that was a direct-to-consumer play. Uh, we've got a great service. Come by and get it. Um, but what's happening now is that the uh, provider community, the ACOs, are looking at that and saying, you know, that's less expensive, convenient care. That's part of the mandate. That's how we make our mark as an ACO. And we are now forming partnerships with ACOs, sort of a logical and, a, in a way, a better provision of care because uh, with some partners we're actually melding our medical records more effectively sharing medication, more effectively, you know, scheduling patients. And um, it's interesting, and I think it's going to evolve. So is this a way for individuals, it sounds like, who are in programs being administered by Health Dialogue to, in essence, get uh, sort of a higher-level face-to-face coaching around certain lifestyle issues they might be facing? Yes, so it's a very similar coaching model um, than the one we have, um, difference being face-to-face and in your community. And, um, you know, so we're interested in seeing how we can support that more effectively. We're also sharing our expertise at looking at populations with Rite Aid to help them look at the populations they serve and see how our analytics and uh, fulfillment uh, capabilities can help them. And, you know, you could see very easily how um, where we're part of an ACO and we're providing convenient care, we can start to provide other services, health dialogue services, because after all, the ACOs are all new to population management and they have very few resources uh, to do this. And so, you know, we already are in a relationship through our sister company and, you know, we, we were having we're having those conversations now. That's excellent. I mean, uh, you know, coming from a disease management world where most of the work I did was actually face-to-face and Medicaid, it's nice to see that opportunity to use it for those individuals where it really can benefit in a mixed kind of model between telephonic and face-to-face. And have you have you linked up the systems with the Ready Clinic if they happen to have a Health Dialogue member? Is that database set up yet and those connections? No, we're at, we're at the stage now where we're – Facing the challenge of integrating um, the Ready Clinic records with those of our provider partners, and you know sometimes that's easier because we're on the same platform, and sometimes it's a little harder. Uh, but I'm seeing a really significant movement out there in terms of data exchange, um, you know, with disparate EMR and practice management systems. So uh, that's where we're concentrating our effort. Just you know, just getting up with scheduling and uh, integrating um, patient referrals and things like that. Yeah, excellent. It's going to take a while. I mean, we're talking about a very disparate system out there, as you know, having lived in it for a long time and trying to put these different pieces together to do fully integrated population health is is uh, is a work in progress. So it's great to hear you're moving that forward and uh, integrating, at least having the services available in these unique environments. As you look down the road and uh, with your background, et cetera, are you optimistic in regards to the triple aim? Do you think we can get there, the healthcare system in the United States? 
Well, so I am an optimist, and this does strain my optimism. <laughs> I think, you know, most observers feel that the federal government's been pretty good about being pretty clear that they're heading in this direction, and that has been absolutely necessary and probably, you know, undoubtedly the biggest driving engine. Um, but I also, I think all of us have observed that um, on the provider side, the movement has been slow, slower than expected. And we know that any number of provider groups around the country are going to struggle uh, with this. But, you know, I personally suspect that we'll come up with different models of ways of helping providers get there to a more logical place of serving their population. So, you know, whether it's capitation or bundle payments or pay for performance or some other formula, um, you know, I think if we there is essentially a steady hand in terms of keeping the direction, you know, we'll find ways of rewarding providers for doing the right thing, you know, having worked for Blue Cross for any number of years and watching this system of, you know, the only way a provider could make money was certain billable services and a lot of value-added services they wanted to provide they just couldn't because the payment system, you know, wouldn't support them and sort of over-supported them for, you know, high-tech testing and things like that. So, yeah, I'm I'm staying hopeful. <laughs> That's, what's your what's your view? Yeah, I think um, if we can bring the right people and organizations together, because population health can't be done by any one group, I think we can get there. And I think it is, you know, uh, having strong providers that understand the system with the appropriate payment methodology to sort of incent them along with bringing in the expertise of a company like Health Dialogue that has been involved in population health, disease management, and wellness programs, and understands that spectrum and some unique data analytics, which may be different from the analytics used by a provider. And then that concept of engagement, and you begin to put together systems that I think actually could be very successful. Are there any other insights you know, you've had from the, the work around pay for performance, et cetera, and how some of that might drive some of this population health? And is any of that going on within Health Dialogue and some of the programs you're using to assist people with that? Well, we had, uh, we had a related insight I'll, I'll mention with Care Pathways, and that was that um, when we had an opportunity to look at uh, large data sets over three to five years, um, and we could look at it by disease condition and by disease progression. What we found was that, uh, for example, over the course of three to five years, in terms of the onset of a sentinel event, if you look at populations that we touched versus a matched population that we didn't touch with management, we saw that we could delay sentinel events like heart attacks and strokes and dialysis for a year in that time period. Now, I mean, that's wow. a pretty astounding thing. It, now, uh, let's remember, it's a subpopulation. These are sort of sicker people who are on this journey. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in a way, it's not surprising because, you know, we've been challenged, we get paid, <laughs> to control <laughs> things like emergency department use, 
unnecessary hospitalizations, and we've known that we've been able to produce those things over the years. So if you do that by patients managing their condition better, not needing the emergency department, not avoiding some unnecessary admissions, you would predict a health outcome, and we've been able to show that. Wow, that's excellent. And this was through, I know there's been some question in the industry around data and analytics and reporting of results. This was a matched uh, study? Right. Well, the way we match it is uh, eligible and contacted, uh, eligible and not contacted, and then, um, you know, the, the, the populations are rated and adjusted by their risk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fantastic. So as, as you gear up for the forum in uh, just a few short weeks, Anything else as you, that Health Dialogue is looking at in the future? Um, well, I think you know you've 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 heard most of the things that we're we're doing. We're trying to make our tools more accessible through a platform, you know, more self-service, deeper reach into a population uh, in a more effective, efficient way. Um, bet, so better use of these resources, more personalized service which I think everyone can appreciate, and then uh, the use of mobile technology. So, you know, all of our systems can, are basically mobile-enabled, and we're taking advantage of the appearance of biosensors to inform us with more data, better data. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the forum, Peter, and seeing what Health Dialogue has to offer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Fred. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Peter Goldbach, for his time and insights. Uh, do follow Health Dialogue on Twitter via at Health Dialogue, and that's D-I-O-L-O-G, and on the web at www.healthdialogue.com. This is the third in our six-part series on the Countdown to the PHA Forum 2015, previewing the lineup and the themes featured. Check out www.pophealthweek.com for prior installments and visit www.populationhealthalliance.org for more information on the 16th annual gathering of stakeholders in the emerging practice of population health management. Do make a point of joining us in the nation's capital November 2nd through the 4th, 2015 at the Renaissance Washington, D.C. Downtown Hotel. And until then, for Fred Goldstein and the Population Health Alliance, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.